Good morning. The subject that I've been asked to explore today has to do with the origin of morality. We're living in a day when moral standards are rapidly changing. What was regarded as being morally wrong a few years ago is today being proclaimed as morally right. Does morality change with the times? Or is what's right and what's wrong fixed and timeless? Is morality relative? Could something be morally right in one context, but yet morally wrong in another? Is morality simply a social construct that will and can change as society does? This is a fascinating subject and one that is extremely relevant for us all. For us as Christians, the answers are clear. Morality is derived from God and his character. Things are right or they are wrong because God defines them as such. We know from God's revelation of himself in the Bible that God is a moral being. In other words, there is a moral aspect, a moral dimension to the nature and character of God. And when God gave expression to himself by creating the universe, he created the universe in keeping with who he was. And so our universe has a moral dimension to it. In the Garden of Eden, we read how God created humankind in his image and likeness. Genesis 1 verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So God created humankind in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. So certainly part and parcel of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God is that we too are moral beings. There is a moral dimension to being human. And we are living in a world that has a moral framework. There really are such things as good and evil. And for us as Christians, we understand that morality flows from the being of God. Morality is grounded in God. We are moral beings because God is a moral being. We're, we've been made in his image. This is so well expressed in the biblical phrase, be holy because I am holy. That saying occurs a number of times, three times in the book of Leviticus and at least once in the New Testament. Here's Leviticus 19 verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Here again, Leviticus 20, you are to be holy because I, the Lord, am holy, and I've set you apart from the nations to be my own. And then this idea of 
our holiness being a reflection of God's is, is quoted by Peter 2 in 1 Peter 1. Don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The same idea, I think, is expressed by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says in Matthew 5.48, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The point I'm making is this. There is such a thing as morality. It flows from the nature and character of God who made us and the world. We've been made in his image and likeness. Another thing that points to the existence of morality is that each of us was born with a conscience. There is a moral compass built into each one of us. What we've discovered is that the human conscience is no longer a perfect guide to right and wrong. Our consciences, just like real compasses, can be influenced by the environment in which they're operating. For example, a compass will be affected by an electromagnetic field. The Bible speaks about people's consciences being warped or seared, cauterized, as it were. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul writes, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, people will abandon the faith. They will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So the human moral compass, our conscience, is fallen and has been affected by sin. It's no longer an infallible guide to what's wrong and what's right. It's also true that sometimes people's consciences can be faulty. They can feel that something is wrong because of how they've been brought up when perhaps it isn't and vice versa. So the conscience is not an infallible guide to discerning morality. We also need to distinguish between the voice of the Holy Spirit alive in a Christian and that of conscience. Conscience and the ministry of the Holy Spirit are two different things. We just mustn't confuse the two. Another clear indication that we're living in a moral universe is seen in the Garden of Eden, in perfection when God creates the world. Genesis 2 says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do eat of it, you will surely die. I've often wondered, as perhaps you have, why was there this tree in the Garden of Eden? Why in perfection was it necessary to have this tree? 
And why couldn't Adam and Eve just eat from any tree? Why did God give this instruction? You can eat from any tree, but not from the tree in the middle of the garden. I believe that the tree existed and God gave this one command, don't eat from that tree, so that Adam and Eve would genuinely be living in a moral world where they could genuinely exercise moral choice. If that tree had not been there, if that command had not been given by God, their obedience would be all they could offer. But instead, God took so seriously giving Adam and Eve a free will that God chose to place a tree in the garden and a very good looking tree at that and give the command not to touch the tree and eat from it. In fact, I don't think he mentioned anything about touching the, the tree, just not to eat from it. This is God establishing a moral universe with moral creatures. God could have taken away their free will, but a world where people have free will and are free agents and the truly reflect the image and likeness of God is a better world than one where they do not have moral choices. So in summary then, what do we know from the scriptures? We know that God is a moral being. There is a moral dimension to God's character. Morality matters to God. Secondly, we see that God has created the universe and caused humanity to share that aspect of his persona. This is in part what it means to have been made in the image of God. We also all have a conscience, but we've seen that the conscience has been affected by sin and can even be described as being seared and malfunctioning. So conscience is not an accurate determinator of right and wrong. We also see in the scriptures that morality is a big deal to God. Morality matters to God. Time and time again, God describes himself in moral terms. He says, I am holy and you must be holy because I am holy. God, was, God has also taken the trouble to reveal to us what he regards as being right and wrong. Many of the laws, commandments, and principles found in the Bible are about morality. This behavior pleases God. This doesn't. This is an abomination to God. This is righteousness. This is good. That's bad. Much of the Bible teaches us morality. So we are to be holy because God is holy. Friends, we're living in a day and in an age that wants to redefine morality. What's right and what's wrong. And the society we are living in is rapidly attempting to do that. To redefine morality. To redefine good and evil. And this is why as Christians we need to understand where morality comes from. 
Morality is not a social construct. It is not something that we determine and thus are free to change. Morality flows from who God is, from his nature and character, and that is not subject to change. It is God who determines what is right and what is wrong, not humanity. And morality is unchanging because God is unchanging. Things don't magically become right or wrong because a certain number of people think differently about something. Things are right or they are wrong because God has said so. Back to that thought about how society is trying to redefine morality. I often think of Paul's words in Romans 1 where he describes human sinfulness and he says this phrase, professing to be wise, they have become fools. We also read the scripture in Isaiah chapter 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. When it comes to morality in our day, it's like we're being hit by a tsunami. There is an onslaught coming and it's here. It's washing over us all. And this is why we have to be tethered to the truth. Otherwise, we'll be washed away. One of the hardest things today is to uphold what God has revealed to us about what's good and bad, what's right and what's wrong. It's not something we get to work out for ourselves. It's not up to us to make those decisions. This too smacks of the original sin. Remember Satan's conversation with Eve? Genesis 3, you won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Part of the motivation for the first sin, for the original sin, was the ability to be able to know good and evil and more than just know it, to define it for oneself. That was why Adam and Eve ate. The temptation was so that they could be like God, knowing good and evil. Rather, our response should be, the desire to be holy because he is holy. A few weeks ago, one of my sons was doing a course at UCT for his degree and the lecture was on morality. The purpose of the course was to help the students to become ethical business people. And we got chatting about the lecture and because it was online, I could take a look at the lecture notes and, and see what was being, being taught, because this is a subject that interests me greatly. And it was very interesting to see how in a secular environment, people would talk about 
morality, because for us, as Christians, morality flows out of the being of God. The lecturer began with establishing whether there was such a thing as morality. Moral truths were referred to as normative moral facts. In other words, things of a moral nature that are true and that apply to all, hence they are normative. They are normative moral facts. And I was pleased that the lecturer took the line that there is such a thing as objective morality, that there are normative moral facts. The lecturer readily acknowledged that morality exists. Of course, that in itself is an interesting conclusion, because if one happens to believe that all life exists by accident through random mutations, how do you get from nothing to normative moral facts? That part wasn't explained, partly no doubt, because it can't be. Just to digress, what some atheists have supposed is that the idea of morality evolved because it helps us to find meaning in our lives and make sense of the confusion we experience. And so evolving the idea of morality has helped us along our evolutionary journey. That's, that's the theory. The lecturer then went on to, to cover three possible sources for morality. And the first source was people's feelings. This was called emotivism, i.e. are ethical claims merely expressions of emotion? Do we say that stealing is wrong because when I think about stealing, I, I feel that it is bad? In essence, this view then states that normative moral facts do not exist. If we're saying that morality is just the outflow of our feelings, then there's no objective basis for mo morality. It, it is purely a subjective thing. The second idea that was discussed in the lecture is that morality is based on what my group thinks. This is also called moral relativism. In other words, what makes these facts true or false, these moral ideas, is what my group thinks about them. This means that the truth of moral claims is relative to a community. Again, therefore, moral facts are not objective. They're subjective. This is the critical mass theory. If a certain amount of people believe a thing, that might make it right or wrong. Of course, this system uh, doesn't hold water because different communities believe different things. And so with this view that emotions, sorry, that morality is grounded in what groups and communities think, this, this too has to be dismissed. We're no better off than saying, well, I'm going to define morality by what I feel. The third uh, idea they looked at was that of theism, that 
morality is established by divine command. And this is, of course, the view that we as Christians hold to. Morality flows from the being of God. Of course, there are difficulties with this view being looked at in a secular environment. After all, which God are we talking about? Which religion's morality? Which holy book is our guide? Because the, the five major religions of the world contradict each other on many moral points. So this too in the lecture was rejected as being a basis for morality. The lecturer concluded that there was no actual solid basis for morality. And then with the conclusion, but there's a general acceptance that morality exists anyway. This wasn't in the notes, but the implication was that there is a moral code built into the universe. And the lecturer went on to suggest that the best tool for discovering moral facts is critical thinking. I'm not sharing this in any way to criticize the lecturer or the lecturer, but merely to show that people are wrestling with how do we define morality. And even in a secular environment, it is clear that what I feel doesn't provide a basis, what my group thinks doesn't provide a basis. And yes, there are difficulties with the view that God determines morality. There does come an aspect of faith. I want to pick up on the lecturer's conclusion because it's very important. And in effect, she was saying that we can tell right from wrong by through critical thinking. In other words, by thinking long enough and hard about a thing, we can then determine right from wrong. And unfortunately, this is the view of many Christians today, that if you just think about something for long enough, it will become clear to you whether something is morally right or morally wrong. This is no different from saying that morality is a social con construct and that we, in effect, get to define right and wrong. As helpful and as good as the sounds, it's the complete opposite of what the Bible teaches about morality. The Bible teaches that something is right or wrong because God says it is. And this is part of the offense of the gospel. This idea that God and not us or our group gets to define what is right and wrong. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every 
good work. For us as Christians, we don't get to determine and decide what's right and wrong through good thinking, but rather through what God has revealed in the Scriptures. For morality is grounded in the being of God, and it is something that's been revealed to us. For the Christian, it is important to note that morality is not defined by group consensus. Neither is it defined by our feelings, no matter how strong those feelings may be, or how passionate the group consensus may be. Nor even is Christian morality defined by utilitarianism. This is the view that says, that that which results in the most amount of good for the most amount of people is the right thing to do. Nor can morality be defined by critical thinking. Morality flows from the being and character of God, and God's moral standards are revealed to us in his word. God has created a universe with a moral dimension to it. And we need to be very careful not to commit the sin that Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We cannot redefine morality and God's moral standards to suit ourselves. Neither can we redefine morality to make the gospel more palatable to people. We can't remove the offense of the gospel. And we are to be holy as God is holy. And thank God he gives us the power to do this. I want to end by quoting that great promise found in Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. And here's the important part, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Part of the gospel is that when we believe in Jesus, when we repent of our sins, that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we receive a new nature. We are born again. And God's Spirit within us changes our hearts, renews our minds, and moves us to follow God's decrees. Friends, the, the tsunami of moral change is upon us. It's washing over us all. The forces are strong. I want to encourage you to base your moral beliefs not on what you feel, not on what your group thinks, not even on what you think is a sensible idea, 
I encourage you to recognize that morality is grounded in God's being, who is unchanging, and who has shown us, O oh man, what is right and what is wrong. Let's pray together. Lord, as we're living in a world that is seeking to redefine morality, we pray that you would keep us tethered to your truth and that you would help us, Lord, to be holy because you are holy. Help us to understand that morality is not a social construct, but something dear to your heart. And help us to recognize that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for training in righteousness. Help us, we pray, Lord, to be faithful to you, faithful to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.